Yeah. Yeah. Draft day. Johnny Manziel. Five years later, how am I the man still? Draft day. A Wiggins. That other side, we stay winning. Oh man, you know I had to do it for you. You know I had to do it for you. Yeah. Suits and ties yelling out, pay the guys, man, I had to do it for you. You know I had to do it for you. You know I had to do it for you. Oh man, oh man, oh man, man, you know I had Welcome back to the Racial Draft Podcast. I am your host, Michael Ford, joined this week by a very, very special guest, Toriano. How's it going, man? Going pretty good. I'm excited to talk about some racial draft business as well as what's been going on in the news lately. Yeah, you know, we just, uh, this is it. We kicked off. This is uh, our first week of season six. Round one is in the books. And uh, yeah, we, we're off on another adventure. Is this this is is this going to be the 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 season you finally take it? I think uh, year three is is the big MVP jump, so I'm excited to really take this season on. Hopefully, uh, we we had a really strong start, so I'm looking forward to round two as well. Yeah, me as well, me as well. And uh, this is your first episode. Welcome, and also, I'm sorry because <laughs> because we are going to do what we do every week. And that is change the complexion of the comic book universe one draft pick at a time. And sometimes it gets messy. Sometimes it gets messy. Hopefully you'll enjoy uh, the messiness. Um, but before we get into the racial draft shenanigans, uh, let's talk about the week that was. I mean, the biggest story in entertainment, we so will say, even beyond just nerd news, uh, is that uh, is that of the writer strike. Uh, the, those uh, the, They say the pen is knightier than the sword. But uh, mightier than the pen is the dollar, and uh, you know, everybody everybody wants to get their fair fair pay, and uh, that's you know there are a number of issues at play, and you know we here at the racial draft understand you know how important writers are, uh, how important the the storytelling, uh, the storytellers are to the storytelling, so um, you know hopefully uh, it doesn't drag uh, too far. Uh, you know, into into later in the year, and hopefully, uh, m- most if not all of their demands uh, end up being met. What about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, especially with what I've heard that they're only looking for a three percent uh, share of the profits. You know, that to me, like that should be an automatic. All right, let's get this done because you guys are a priority. You mm-hmm. create our content. Not only do you like the foundation for our content, but we can't profit off of this content without you. You know, there is no cast, there is no director without a script. First thing you do with the project is have the script and go through the process of getting it finalized. Yeah, I've heard, I mean, I've heard, um, you know, as far as like some of the industry um, sources that I've kind of tapped into, is that it's it's more than just the money. Um, It's it's a lot of it is like structural, and, you know, I, I don't know what line of work you're in as far as your day job, but, you know, we've seen in a lot of um, in a lot of businesses, the shift from kind of, you know, guaranteed um, salaried uh, situations to a lot more of a contract short term basis, almost, you know, not quite at full gig economy, 
you know, like, like an Uber, but, you know, a lot of lines of work are sort of moving in that direction. And it, you know, to, to hear the writers uh, sort of explain it and to hear some of the off the cuff remarks that the studio uh, executives have made is they're, they're starting to look at writing as, as something more akin to that as more gig based, as more project based and less as something that people can do full time. And to the extent that the union uh, is looking out for the best interests of their workers, that's not something that they want. That's not something they want to have happen, you know? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, when you think about those kind of existential um, opposition points, it really does feel like they're very far apart, not to mention the whole AI aspect of it, which um, you know, AI has been controversial. It's been controversial in the art world. You know, we we sort of uh, briefly touched on it last season. Um, it's it's coming into play in the writing world. I mean, most of us would say that what what is being generated right now is still deeply flawed, and 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 you know, it does not pass any kind of Turing test in terms of us being able to tell what's being written by a human and what's not. Yeah, but that could change in the future. And I think that a lot of the studios, particularly the ones like the Netflixes and the Amazons that come from a tech, uh, you know, orientation anyway, um, I think they're they're looking ahead at the possibility of even putting even more of a squeeze on writers using technology. And I can again, I can understand why the writers would be resistant to that. Um, you know, us as consumers, you know, we have to kind of decide how far um we want to, you know, be in solidarity in terms of um, supporting artificial intelligence and, and making it known that we're not going to stand for AI replacing writers, uh, particularly when it comes to things like copyright and um, and credits, you know, and scripts and stuff like that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think um, for me, honestly, I think the whole AI discussion has been really disrespectful to a lot of writers, especially for the well-regarded and well-respected writers, Mm -hmm. um, whether it be within Netflix or the MCU, um, especially with what happened with the Duffer Brothers yesterday with them postponing season five of Stranger Things until the ordeal of the writing strike is finished, you know. Oh, did they get a lot of pushback? Um, they're... I don't believe they're they're getting a lot of praise for making that move. Oh, good. So I good. think it, it it was the right move, especially to be respectful to their staff, um, to the writers that help support them, and to you know to really understand that the process of writing does not stop when you begin filming. You know, you make adjustments in the filming process. You know, you change dialogue. Some 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 actors go off script. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of factors that come into play when you talk about the writing aspect of creating these shows and television um especially the movies that we enjoy so just hearing them create these talks about ai writing is just very disrespectful to me honestly yeah but you can sort of understand i mean this has been boiling in especially i would say especially in nerd culture and especially in ip um um cinema so to speak you know, the more that uh, people talk as if these IP can be adapted into pro- into um, profitable uh, either movies or shows, and it and it being not understood, but but being pushed, the narrative being pushed that these writers are just cogs in the wheel, 
that these are, um, you know, source materials and properties where the, the real value is in the, is in the IP, you know, take something we will, which we'll talk about a little later, like Super Mario Brothers, you know, someone might argue from a studio, someone might from a studio might argue that if without, you know, the, you could have the exact same story, the exact same script, but if it doesn't have this licensed character, that being all the characters from from Mario universe, that's not a hit. What made what made it a hit is was not the script, was actually the the characters that we own. And because we own these characters, we can do what we want, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, now that we live in a, you know, and this is not to knock things like fanfic, right? But what fanfic does sometimes um do is send the send a signal that the fans think that they're as good and as not i wouldn't say as valuable but but um but at least comparable to what the professionals are are doing mm -hmm. and while that while that can if you're, if you're doing it for fun continue to do it for fun you know but i think that there but i i have heard conversations where people really do kind of down talk uh you know writers and they say like oh i could do a better job and 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 that attitude is the kind of attitude that undergirds the studios feeling like oh we can just grab somebody off the street grab someone off twitter and you know they can you know with the aid with the aid of ai <laughs> you know yeah. um <laughs> you know put put something together that's that's you know, maybe not as good, but close to as good as someone who's trying to do it for professionally, you know, and that's where things can get really dangerous, you know, that, um, that they, that as much as I, um, as much as I'm sympathetic to the idea that um, people should be able to earn a living off of the thing that they, that they love, we've seen in so many other fields that that doesn't happen you know it's 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 be it's eroding more and more and you know i do kind of see writing you know as a career becoming another staging ground for you know for that kind of capitalist uh overreach oh for sure um you can even say the same thing for big blog sites as well because mm -hmm. you know the same thing is happening in those fields you know you're having less and less opportunity you know there are pay cuts there are staff cuts um we're even seeing it in other fields like big tech like amazon mm -hmm. um i believe journalism Walmart. you know it's happening everywhere yeah so it's just very difficult to project but really want to protect the writers and it's it's just really unfair what's happening because i believe the I, you can fact check me on this but i believe mm -hmm. the the last union um strike like this happened in 2006 yeah, it was either 2006 or 2007. I'll look it up. Um, I believe it was 2006, but 17 okay. years. And, you know, at that point, they were beginning to have discussions about streaming because streaming was just becoming an idea um, that was really, you know, starting to gravitate and gain mm -hmm. some legs, um, especially with the emergence of Netflix. But, man, for them to not have any opportunity for royalties, 
um, to not have any opportunity. Well, even the even sorry to cut you off, but even the idea of like what constitutes a royalty, you mm -hmm. know, in the streaming era, because I think, you know, one one of the things that it's the, the complete upheaval of the economics of television. It was it was actually on November 20, 2007 to February 2008 was the uh, was a strike. Um, but. But even, you know, the if you think about the economics of like what cable television used to be, what um, local television, you know, in different markets and syndication, you know, it, it used to be that you write a television show, you know, 22 episodes of a show so that you can, you know, knock out, you know, in your fifth season, get to your hundredth episode and then sell a package of a hundred episodes to another market or mm -hmm. another channel in syndication. And what has happened in the streaming in the streaming world is that that secondary market, that aftermarket, doesn't really exist. You know what happens is you know the seasons are shorter. They're not a, you don't. What's the last show you can remember that have hundred episodes? You know, like one of the Arrowverse shows, most likely. <laughs> Definitely. Like, you know, like it, it's not it's not common anymore. It, you know, maybe these shows make it to fifty episodes if if we're lucky. Um, you know, and even the expectations of what the fans want is the fans want quick and, you know, quick and over. They want, you know, they want it to be good. Don't get me wrong, but they're not looking for these like, long runs on these shows. And that used to be that if you if you were a writer and you got on the show, you not only had, you know, got job security for, you know, three to five years, but then you also knew that they were going to sell that package of, of shows. And anytime that show was aired anywhere in the world, you had a check coming to you. But now that it's on streaming, I just, you know, they're not getting the same revenue. I don't, I don't believe, you know, if you think about, you think about how much you pay at either any of us pay a month for streaming versus how much we actually watch on streaming, you know, like it's, it's probably like Spotify levels of, <laughs> of, of, you know, what artists make when their song gets played on Spotify, you know, it's like a couple cents here and there versus, you know, what, what, to hear people talk about what their residuals checks used to look like, they used to make real money on residuals. They used to actually be able to, you know, between projects, live off of their residual checks. And, you know, I, I, I'm not saying I sympathize with the, with the companies, but the companies are definitely still trying to figure out what their economics are. You know, Netflix, you know, depends on how you account them you know either either make a lot of money or lose a lot of money you know because exactly. it's so much money in and then so much money out for the content and a lot of these companies were chasing that Netflix model because they saw that the disruption was happening to their old business model and they didn't want to get left you know holding the bag and a lot of them went into serious debt in order to create this reality and now they're thinking and when they're having those share you know every couple of weeks there's a big shareholder uh conference where they're trying to convince their shareholders it's like yeah i know we lost a billion dollars last quarter but we're gonna <laughs> you know we're gonna we're gonna figure it out you know we're gonna figure <laughs> it out and and a lot of when they're what they're talking about when they say they're gonna figure it out is coming on the backs of the writers they're like one of the big things with Netflix is that they, when when they sign those deals with creators, with with um you know the teams that the creators brought in, there was no back end. It was all your money up front, and their logic was you can get me make more money up front, and then we can own it in perpetuity, and then we don't have to worry about paying out 
uh, residuals, mm-hmm. you know, and if they decide that they want to sell it to a foreign country on broadcast, they can keep up, you know, they have the, their incentive to make as much money as, pro- as, as possible on the product, but that completely undermines what the model used to be, you know, exactly. where, where it was basically, you know, a, a, a bit of a partnership, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not a partnership anymore. You know, it's a, you know, it's, it's all, again, it's, it's back to that model. It's like that work for hire type deal. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're contracting, we're giving you a check. Uh, you're, you deliver us a product and then we own this product. And, you know, if you can't make a living on that, tough, <laughs> like, you know, that's, and, and from what I understood, and maybe this isn't true, this is not me doing any kind of reporting. Uh, the traditional networks were more amenable to taking the deal that was being offered by the by the writers. It was the Netflix in particular, but with you know the backing of the Amazons and the and the um and the Apples that were like more in in in, in tune with no we we want we want to take a strong stance here because exactly. it's so integral to particularly the Netflix business model that they do things the way that they've been doing things. And these legacy media companies know what it was like before. So for them, it's not that much of a radical departure to go back to the way things used to be. So it's for that reason that I think that, you know, I think I think this strike could go a while. I think it's going to go as long as either the writers start to hurt for their cash or these studios start to hurt for their inventory. You know, that they've everything that used to be that they, everything that like every, you know, how all of us have our different lists of things that we're, we, we, we meant to watch. We, yeah. we, kinda, we haven't watched, like they're going to try to run through all of the content. They're going to, I think the ones that have networks are going to try to put some of their streaming content on network TV um, to give you know people an opportunity to that are, people that aren't subscribed to the streaming channels an opportunity to watch these shows. You know I think that they're going to just run down their inventory as much as possible in the hopes that they can wear down the writers. And it's really going to be a big game of chicken. And sadly, what Netflix has going for it is that they have all that content from other markets, and people have shown that they're willing to watch. You know, particularly like the Korean content for instance. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not telling anyone that they need to in solidarity boycott Netflix, but I do think that that's a, that's a tactic that might be, might be pushed um, down the line it, as, as a, as a way of making them really feel that hurt. Oh yeah. In general, I think, um, I, I think it'll be very difficult to boycott streaming in general, but you know, if you target the big three right now, currently the big three to me would be Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu, or not necessarily Hulu, but um, Apple. Disney. Oh. Apple. Disney. Disney has been doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Apple has been surging really impressively, well, the, though. Well, the thing about Apple and, and Amazon, it's like they make so much money from their other stuff that they, you know, streaming isn't a isn't so big of a um of their of what their business model is based on if anything like especially amazon they're just trying to get you on their service 
because they know that once you're on the service, you're more likely to buy something. Like, you know, like, yeah, exactly. And they're going to like, you know, get a handle of the kind of shows you like to watch. They're just all about like getting all your data so that they can come back around and sell you stuff. So, so Amazon can, Amazon can definitely afford to pay the writers, you know, what they, what they're owed. But Amazon is also probably the company that's most likely to be like, oh, can we do an AI uh, can we do an AI television show? Like I, yeah. I like I haven't watched the show Citadel, but my understanding of Citadel is that it was greenlit as a concept before they even had any scripts. You know, because it was basically like an international spy franchise where they can do shows in all of the different regions. Mm-hmm. You know, different like they 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 sort of pre plan the franchise before they even had a show uh, to put out and you know that kind of of business plan you know based around a show suggests to me that that's the kind of thing that their algorithm is telling them like could work you know mm-hmm. and they just want to keep i think you know no offense well whatever offense to amazon (laughs) i i think that they want to continue to feed the the ai continue to feed the algorithm until they they believe that they can you know create maybe not 100 of a show but you know at least 50 percent of a show in ai and then bring in the writers to bring it over the finish line you know, yeah, and I have so I, I think, haven't really seen too much of that of the Citadel show, but I have seen some of the marketing for it. It's just um, I I I can definitely tell that it was a blank canvas. You know, there's mm-hmm. not there's not really a direction with it. You don't right. really get you don't they have they have long trailers out there, and it's just just a full like a blank slate. You know, you don't really mm-hmm. have an image of what it is. You can kind of tell it's a spy show, but you might sit there and say, does it have anything to do with magic? have anything to do like you know what i mean like you can't yeah. necessarily point out but it's targeted but here's the thing i could totally see someday when when the uh the show uh, the list of shows that that were that we have left to watch is really low you know go to amazon for something and it's just sitting out sitting out there citadel blinking <laughs> watch you will watch a few episodes of citadel and then they got you you know that's amazon for you you know um so i mean all that is to say that i we're here for the writers but we know that what they're up against is bigger than even just this one strike and this one um you know any 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 one studio because what they're trying what what's happening all across the you know the economy is little by little people are being squeezed out little by little people aren't aren't valued you mm-hmm. know and until we can effectuate some like major social change you know uh, everybody vote in 2024 until we can you know effectuate you know social change that's a trend that's going to continue and, you know, I don't think that, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, it's a trend that's going to continue. And I think we have to be vigilant about uh, what we what we want our society to look like um, as all of these mega corporations are trying, are serving their shareholders uh, and really don't give an F about either consumers or the people that work for them. 
So uh, yeah, tr- transitioning from that, <laughs> <laughs> it is a broad topic to transition from too. Yeah, into uh, the movies. The movies. Uh, we we had two. We had. I'll talk about the big winner. The big winner of uh, continues to win, and that is a uh, like we said before, Super Mario. Uh, they have they surpassed five hundred million at the domestic box office. Uh, they have already crossed a billion dollars worldwide. They are now at. Uh, I want to say 1.2 billion. I saw earlier about 1.155 billion. Yes, there we go. One point. Yeah, I see it now. Um, You know, so right now there have only been 19 films um, to have hit 500 million uh, in in North America, and uh, one of them is uh, is a Super Mario Brothers movie. So, uh, you know, I I enjoyed the movie. I'm I'm not going to knock the movie. Uh I don't think that this means that every Nintendo movie over the under the sun is going to have the same kind of success. Um I do think that if they just keep cranking out Mario movies, they might be fine. <laughs> like um you know, but but we shall see. We'll see how how things go. Um you know, animation uh kind of crosses with two of our different topics. Um you know, both the writing and also the animation and special uh, special effects issues that have kind of sprung up over the last couple of years. You know, those are non-union people, those are people that are not going on strike anytime soon. So uh, we may see we may see a push uh, into more animated projects in the in the in the upcoming years. But uh, you know, I tip my hat to to the Mario franchise and to Universal Studios. As they uh, continue uh, to be the Smash Brothers at the box office, um, yeah, and Illumination did a phenomenal job as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other Smash at the box office, uh, particularly in the at the worldwide box office, is uh, Guardians of Galaxy Volume Three, which opened this past weekend. I had the privilege of seeing it uh, at a screening, and then I also got to see it in the theaters amongst the the regular people. <laughs> and uh and it went over just as well i think um so i mean i, I know you haven't seen it so i'm not going to spoil anything um i i do think that it, it's it's there's been a little bit of controversy in terms of uh people saying that it's a return to form uh for marvel um i i would agree in the sense of you know guardians in a lot of ways was the most important mcu movie um, because it showed that it didn't have to be a character that anybody cared about. You know, it didn't have to like it was like you could they were the lowest of the low in terms of the list of recognizable comic characters. And what James Gunn did and what Marvel, you know, Kevin Feige, like what they were able to do in order to create that first movie, um, and the hit that that first movie was was kind of like the proof of concept of like, yeah, this Marvel thing is for real. Yeah. Um, and the second one, you know, in, in my opinion, wasn't too much worse than the first one. Uh, you know, I thought it was kind of on par with the with the first, but you know, there were so many other great movies coming out that it kind of got, you know, it it just being more of the same made it underrated in my book. Whereas, you know, you had movies like Black Panther you know, coming out, Thor Ragnarok, just kind of like, you know, changing the game a little bit. So I think people took the second Guardians for granted. 
And now in this post-Endgame world where sort of the old franchise and the old franchise stars have kind of either left or, you know, departed us like Chadwick Boseman, you know, I think we're, this is a sense of reminding people about, you know, that old MCU, you know, reminding people of like, remember when the MCU was just hitting on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's part of what's happening with the, with the um, particularly the internet response to this movie, um, which is that, you know, the last couple of MCU movies, even ones that have been successful, have been a little bit divisive. There's been a little bit of criticism at certain artistic choices um, being taken, different directions that the franchises might go. And, you know, with Guardians being that it's the last movie of the franchise, you know, it ended on a really satisfying note. And it was a, a kind of a reminder of, you know, I, I not to tap to my own horn, but it was a reminder of why you, we fell in love with these movies in the first place. And when it's and when it's that positive, um, it still remains to be seen whether that's going to translate into long term box office. But it definitely explains why there's such an overwhelmingly positive reaction to this movie. Yeah, the internet channel that I've seen on it, I haven't really been spoiled, which I'm I'm glad to not have been spoiled yet. Um, hopefully, I can make it to uh, later on this week. But yeah, just don't watch any yeah. commercial commercials because I'm sure they're going to start putting all types of stuff into the so? uh, commercial. Yeah, I mean, once you get once you get about a week in on a movie, they they run out that second round of commercial spots trying to get people to the theaters, so they'll put in new footage that you hadn't seen before. So mm. be careful, be careful of, and if you see a, if you see even this the first second of a Guardians commercial, just hit mute. <laughs> <laughs> definitely trying to avoid it on youtube then mm-hmm. um i mean everything that i've seen so far has been extremely positive um, like you said a return to form i think it'll be a little bit of a controversy as far as it being a return of form because this is as we know james gunn's mm-hmm. swan song um he will no longer be pursuing marvel films um as he takes the helm of dc but I'm just really excited to see this film. I think it has the chance to be the best of the three. I'm not sure if you feel it is the best of the three. Um, I have seen a lot of people make that comment. So I, I, I mean, you know, in my, I, I can see the argument. I think it's. I, I never want to succumb to recency bias, mm-hmm. and I also acknowledge that the first one was so groundbreaking. Yeah. Um. You know, that that I give it. I give it the extra credit for um for setting the stage but i definitely think that um the more that i the more that i think about it the more i think that this is the best mcu trilogy um and and it, and, and the reason being that even though you know no we had we just had, we just had no way home about a year about a year ago um and and that was a really incredible movie too and i really like the other two spider-man movies it's just that this feels like it delivered on a three-part story i know that there were there was a side quest of like infinity war and Endgame, but in terms of giving um it, like a three movie arc for these characters 
like it almost feels like a movie that you can watch back to back to back you know three uh, three movies that you can watch back to back to back and feel like they did it you know they they really gave you like a true trilogy in the, in the, within the confines of the MCU as opposed to sort of like three good movies um that are sort of loosely connected <laughs> you know um so i think that i put it on par with the first one and it's just a more of a matter of like do you prefer like be introduced to the characters or did you prefer like you know seeing where seeing how these characters evolve but but i loved it and i i, I want to see it again i don't know if i'm going to have the time in my schedule to see it again but uh, it's definitely a day one rewatch when it gets to disney plus so um yeah i mean we may do a little uh if you want you know we may do a little a little pod about it if uh, when you, when you finally do get to see it uh, let me know. We'll maybe do a spoiler cast on it. But um, yeah, I mean, I I don't really want to get pulled into the whole like superhero fatigue discourse, uh, Marvel, blah, blah, all of that stuff. Like, I think that if you're a DC fan, I think you have to be really happy with what you're getting with James Gunn um, because he hasn't lost a step. He hasn't lost his fastball. He still knows what he's doing. And if he can bring that, regardless of what he's doing with the, with the projects that he himself is uh, writing and directing, if he can bring that sensibility, this sensibility, to the, all the DC projects, then then that's a win for that studio. Oh yeah, I mean, just from to my understanding of of what has been set up in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, I mean, you know, with a uh, I think something that we didn't talk about in the news section would be uh, uh, with crypto being introduced for oh. the upcoming Superman legacy film. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, just adding, you know, hearing the news that he wants to do with this Superman legacy film, it, he has the potential to make a top tier Superman film. You know, when you think about what he can bring to the table as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. So I'm very intrigued with what he has and his prospects in the DC universe and um, what he can do going forward. But, man, Marvel let one get away. I, I already I already know it. I already know it. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's tough because we remember the circumstances that led to him, you know, being fired from Marvel. Um, at the time, you know, we were kind of like, we didn't agree, but we understood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, but at, but also at the time, you know, Marvel had it going so good that we, you know, felt like we could have, you know, the Marvel could absorb the loss and we as fans could absorb the loss. Um, and that's, again, that's another piece of what's happening now that um, James Gunn is now so established as a filmmaker that that we trust his, his, um, his strong hand on the wheel. In a way that we're still a little bit skeptical of the other filmmakers that are in the Marvel fray, um, even someone like Ta- Taika Waititi, who was, you know, coming into his own around that time, um, you know, he 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 didn't he didn't he gave us something something a little shaky this this past year, you know. Yeah. So we're so we're you know, and Ryan Coogler, we believe in Ryan Coogler, but we know about how hard that last movie was um, with everything that happened with Chadwick Boseman. We, you know, we're asking, we don't want to ask too much of him 
in terms of uh, just being a uh, a comic book filmmaker. Um, you know, so we're looking around now as like, who's going to be the next James Gunn in the Marvel Universe? Who's going to be the next um, name that's made off of these movies? And, you know, the major question marks. You know, you, I mean, you're a sports fan. You understand what it's like, you know, when a franchise, you know, kind of loses, uh, especially like, you know, something like football, like you lose a, a coordinator, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. to, uh, to another franchise. And then you're like, all right, so we're going to, we're going to, we're going to find the next, the next big coordinator or, or is the loss going to be felt? Yeah. You know? Or do we have any homegrown talent that can fill that spot? Exactly. So you know, uh, while I, I, again, I wish Gunn the best because I'm a fan of both of those universes. Um, it's better in my eyes to have them both prospering than one prospering and another one faltering. But I also don't, does not mean that I want Marvel to start faltering because they've got a bunch of characters that I, you know, am deeply invested in. And I want to see those projects, uh, those projects succeed. So, um, yeah, it will remain to be seen. The next next up in the Marvel universe is uh, is a Secret Invasion in June. Looks really good. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it when when it finally does drop. Oh yeah, I'm mm -hmm. really excited for Secret Invasion. And Samuel L. Jackson has stated that he's excited to continue to play the character if given the opportunity. Okay, so good. I'm good. Hoping this is not the last that we see of Nick. Well, Fury. definitely won't because he's in the Marvels, right? So I, he, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. He was in the trailer. Yeah. So, so that's, I mean, I am curious about the timeline. Uh, one thing that I have been a little bit frustrated with, with Marvel is stuff not quite being in chronological order. Um, so it would be a bummer if, if we're meant to think that the events of secret invasion happen after the events of the Marvels, which, yeah. which we won't see, you know, until November. Mm -hmm. But uh you know, hopefully once the writers come back <laughs> <laughs> after their strike, uh the next phase, the next uh slew of projects will get their stories tightened up. But uh that's it for our nerd news. Uh I'm sure there will be more news in the week to come, but uh that brings us right into our racial draft business as we talk about the first 10 picks in season six, the racial draft. And we're, Oh, we didn't take a break at all. We're still here. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think about the first, what did you think about the first round overall, just overall thoughts? We don't have to talk about your pick because I know your pick was in your mind, the best pick of the, of the round. But uh, what, was, what did you think about overall? Um, Overall, I think that, Everyone has grown as far as being um, as being delegation leaders. I think mm -hmm. that everybody is looking to play to win. Everybody is looking to compete. Everybody is looking mm -hmm. to gain value in their selections and make the proper selections in each round. I think round one started off extremely strong. I did not see a bad pick. I didn't right. see a poor selection at all in round one. Um, whether it be in terms of value or whether it made sense for the delegation. Yeah. I applaud everybody that is in charge of a delegation and, you know, applaud you for your selections. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit. Um, you know, I feel like I've been doing my part to sort of gently guide people towards, you know, being a little more strategic and thinking about, um, you know, don't pick a character here if you think that you can get this character the next, you know, in the next round. Um, you know, think about what the other delegations might be trying up to. And, you know, don't give away your picks, especially not in the first round. You know, make sure that, you know, make sure that you have a character that can be kind of like your 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 MVP. Um, when you look back at the end of the season and say, you know, I when I, you know, I finished first place because this character got us here. You know, um, I think that there's definitely, you know, this goes back to the spirit of what I envisioned with the racial draft. There's more than enough. Uh, great characters to go around that every delegation can feel like they have somebody that's a mm -hmm. a plus top tier character and this was you know this honestly feels like the first season that that promise has been you know has been realized so i'm extremely proud of how the first round uh came about but i'll leave it to the listeners to let us know whether you agree uh we'll start off with the number one pick the winner of the lottery, uh, the white delegation, uh, finding a way yet again to uh, get beyond their previous accomplishments. But they came in hot with Dick Grayson, uh, formerly Robin, formerly, uh, well, currently Nightwing, um, formerly Rick Grayson, but one of the most popular uh, DC characters um, and... You know, he's he's kind of all over the place, if we're, if we're being honest. He's never appeared. Well, I won't say never. He did appear in a in a, in a very unfortunate uh, movie once upon a time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, not recently, not in the modern superhero era. Have we gotten Dick Grayson? Um, so, yeah, the you know, white Dick Grayson was, you know, came came into play. Um, they got, they also gave us a fan cast of Dylan O'Brien, who I don't think I'm very familiar with this actor, but, um, really? what'd you say? I say, really? Yeah. Like what would Maze I runner? Never seen um, it. Not my generation, uh, you know, Teen Wolf. No, was he, was he, was he the star of Teen Wolf? He was one of them. He was mm. like a, a really important supporting character. I'm not, I wasn't really like a big Teen Wolf fan, but I've seen episodes, you know, you, you, you know, you skim onto MTV and you, you know, you just catch an episode here and there, but um, yeah, he's been a, he was a big teen heartthrob in the, in the late 2010s. I, I, I'll admit. Okay. Well, all right. So, so I guess it makes sense that here we are, you know, 10 years later, you know, teen late, late, uh, late twenties. Yeah. I 20s, mean, I, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, he fits the look. I'm, I'm, I have no problem with the look, um, and yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a little bit of controversy in the sense that um, even historically, Dick Grayson's just kind of been a white guy historically. Mm -hmm. um, I know that in recent years they have incorporated the, um, you know, the Romani heritage into Dick Grayson, um, which has never truly. Well, I don't say it's never, but only recently have they tried to delve into the implications of that ethnicity um, on the mm -hmm. character. Um, I would say that for the most part, there hasn't been a major impact of that ethnicity on that character story. 
So, so to that end, um, while it probably puts a slight drag on um, the popularity of the draft pick um, from a strategic perspective, I think that he's a cornerstone character that uh, any delegation would love to have. And I don't believe uh, that if this character is drafted uh, into so not drafted. If this character does find his way into James Gunn's DCU, I don't know if if uh, the the Romani heritage is going to come with him. So mm-hmm. to that end, I think the white delegation is probably, you know, we might not like it, but they're probably <laughs> right right along with how this character is ima- imagined uh, in most of pop culture. Um, oh yeah, definitely, probably a safe bet. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that the guy who plays him on Titans, for instance, um, is anything but a white guy. Yes. Yeah, I believe so. He yeah. may be Italian based on his last name. Um, but but that's still white. That's that's white, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so as far as the approval, uh, chances are listeners, by the time you uh by the time you listen to this, uh there will be no more time left in the poll. Uh, currently, only seventy three point seven percent approval. Wait, let me make sure I have that right. Yeah, seventy three point seven percent approval for uh, for White Dick Grayson. So you know, whole, I don't know. I don't know if 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 they're gonna get enough votes in time uh, to to hit that threshold. We shall see. Forty two. Sorry, 47.4 strongly approve, 26.3 somewhat approve, 15.8 somewhat disapprove, and 10.5% strongly disapprove of uh of White Dick Grayson. Uh for the Dylan O'Brien fan cast, uh 72%, uh with 52 strongly approve, 20 somewhat approve, eight somewhat disapprove, and 20% strongly disapprove. So I didn't oof. Major backlash for Dylan O'Brien. Is it because he doesn't have the cakes? Is it because his booty's not up to par? I don't know. They had him in this. Um, he's done a couple of solo ventures as far as being a lead actor in action movies. Mm-hmm. They have not been up to par in terms of box office or um, in critical standpoint as well. So maybe some people don't feel as if he's strong enough of it. Of an actor. Of an actor? To it off. Okay. Maybe that's it. Yeah, it could be that. Um, this pick, this is a pick that I had been pushing for, for at least two seasons. And I'm, I'm glad that the Polynesian delegation finally listened to me. And that is, uh, Polynesian Wonder Woman. Uh, you know, if you think about it, Paradise Island, Themyscira is an island, um, kind of, we're not sure where that island is. You know, uh, obviously, there's a little bit of a Greek um, mythology aspect to it. So that's a little bit of a drag on the, on the character. But if you think about the fact that she herself, Diana, is of that is of that land, you know, she's not um, she doesn't belong to any one country. You know, I think that there's there's room for kind of an island Polynesian uh, spin on Wonder Woman that uh, doesn't put too much of a, a drag on people's credulity. Um, so 
I, I've, I've been a fan of this. I'm, I'm glad that we that we, that the Polynesian delegation uh, came through with the number two pick on on such a high profile character. And um, I mean, listen, you know, I already I already gave it away. I'm I'm going to strongly approve of that. <laughs> what do you think about? <laughs> but what do you think about uh, Polynesian Wonder Woman? Um, me personally, I wasn't I wasn't necessarily um, chanting for it. I hadn't really put much thought into it. I really wanted to see more of a backstory to kind of get an explanation for it. Mm -hmm. um, I do understand the island aspect now that you dive into it a little bit, but I wasn't really on or off the fence about it. I was just okay. kind of, you know, in support, like, okay, I, I can, I can dig it. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at it from a perspective of, you know, there are not a lot of Polynesian, canonically Polynesian characters. Oh, for sure. And and often it's because these characters tend to be identified so closely with a with another identity um and then and then it's a and then the ones that that aren't um you know it's, they're sort of swimming upstream so to speak with the with the high profile ones so if there's a little just a little tiny bit of an avenue um with these top tier characters where it doesn't feel like you know there's no reason that that mascara couldn't be in the, you know, in, in the um, Pacific ocean, you know, there's no reason that there couldn't be natives of their mascara that are Polynesian in addition to the Amazons. And there's no reason that, um, that Diana couldn't, you know, phenotypically look, look like that and still be viewed as beautiful and sort of, you know, the, the sort of every woman element that Wonder Woman brings to the table. You know, mm -hmm. and then one of the things that I've noticed, and this came into play, you know, over the course of the week with visual references, is there are uh, Hawaiian and other Polynesian um, women who do identify with Wonder Woman, and they, you know, dress up as Wonder Woman and and kind of present that that look of what potentially a Polynesian Wonder Woman look, would look like. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think I think to that extent. Um, it it gives it gives uh, them an avenue to with which to build upon. Um, as for, I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, Simone Kessel, the fan cast. Um, you might know her. I actually hadn't seen her in too much uh, until recently. She's been uh, I don't know if you watch the show Yellow Jackets. Um, I've seen a little bit of it. Okay, so she was not in the first season of Yellow Jackets, but she's in the current season of Yellow Jackets. Um, she's playing a major role in that. So I'm finally getting to see her, her acting chops. Um, she's probably going to have to, you know, get a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more, more rocked up as far as, um, but she's, you know, she's, she's got the stature and she's, you know, very, very fit. So I could see it. I could see the, I could see Simone Kessel, uh, in, in the Wonder Woman role. Uh, she, obviously she's got the looks for it too, you know, to that, to that extent. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, I, uh, from an approval standpoint, currently sitting at a 90% approval for a Polynesian Wonder Woman and 92, no, sorry, 93.8% approval for the fan cast. Uh, that's 81.3 strongly approve, 12.5 somewhat approve and 6.3 somewhat disapprove. Um, so yeah, Polynesian Wonder Woman coming out strong out of the gates for the Polynesian delegation. 
Um, you know, I've we have joked in the past about the Polynesian delegation going for um, you know, vibes over <laughs> vibes over strategy. Yeah. You know? So this is an opportunity for for them to really hold strong on on strategic uh, you know, picks. So we will see what happens in the second round. But so far, uh, <laughs> yes, kiss. Yes, uh, that brings us to the South Asian delegation. Uh, you know, not not necessarily brand new to the racial draft, but but you know, one of the newer one of the newer delegations in the fold. And you know, for that reason, they've sometimes been a little bit up against the eight ball in terms of you know staying staying on point with these you know the high profile characters. But this this year they were like, nope, we are not playing any games. Uh, Clark Kent, <laughs> Clark <laughs> Kent, Superman, South Asian. We're just gonna have to figure out how to make it work. That yep, <laughs> don't know how exactly. Um, I don't know if it means that um, you know, he's he's still raised by uh, a white family in the Kents. Uh, don't know if uh maybe he's a sort of. Well, we we have a fan cast for him, so we'll get to that a little bit later. But uh, in terms of this story, um, you know, there are certainly challenges, is what I'll say, uh, to uh, a Superman who isn't, um, do, sort of doesn't fit in with Western uh, Western culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to hear more about. Uh, how they want to address those things. Uh, it's not to say that there's you couldn't have a non-white Superman, but it does definitely have more of an impact on this story. Oh yeah, um, and I think for me, um, not to cut you off, but mm-hmm. I think uh, me like just looking from from outside from another delegation, I think we have an opportunity to really dive into the idea of adoptive families, mm-hmm. um, especially with the idea of adopting an alien, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as bringing that on par with them adopting a literal alien. Yeah. Um. So for them to have that opportunity, it's very, they have a lot of opportunity to be constructive of it. Right. Well, one, th- um, I mean, sorry to cut you off, but one thing no, that good. I know, um, I, I'm not familiar with the extent to which uh, white families have adopted uh, South Asian uh, children. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that that was a thing with East Asian children. It's been a thing for for many decades. Um, you know, white white parents. I think it went even went back to the fifties. You know, white yeah. parents adopting Asian children and raising them in in white culture, and then later in life, these children growing up and feeling a little bit disconnected from their, you know, from their home culture. I don't know if that same phenomenon exists with South Asian children. Um, but to the extent that it does, like you said, it's a good opportunity to explore that. Also, there are, you know, fair skinned uh, South Asians who might find themselves um, pressured to assimilate um, to mm-hmm. the extent that the Clark Kent character is is in many ways uh, that journey of trying to assimilate in white culture, uh, trying to kind of be unassuming, uh, fit in. Um, I do know that, again, tying back into the immigrant experience, I definitely know that there are South Asian people who, who take on sort of white sounding nicknames so that, so that their, you know, that their names will get butchered by, you know, by, um, you know, by, by white Americans. 
you know, so, you know, there's, there's an opportunity for, for that to kind of come into play that like, you know, Clark Kent, it's a very, very white sounding name, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and, you know, whereas like Kal-El, you know, yeah, I could see a, <laughs> see a South yeah, Asian. Yeah, I, I, I could see it. I could <laughs> see it. <laughs> South Asian yeah. Kal-El. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so I mean, there's there's a little there's a little room to maneuver for sure. Um, now, but but unfortunately, we got to talk about the fan cast because I'm not a fan. Well, I won't say I'm not a fan. Really, I don't want to go that far. Um, so I do, I do strongly approve of the of the draft pick of of South Asian Superman. Um, however, for their fan cast, uh, the South Asian delegation chose Dev Patel. I love Dev Patel as an actor. I don't know that I love Dev Patel as Clark Kent though. Like I've always seen him more as kind of like a like a Peter Parker type guy, you know, more like or even like a Reed Richards kind of guy, like, you know, more um not very physical, um more cerebral kind of um like to the extent that to the extent that he does engage in actions a little bit more reluctantly, you know, um, he's definitely not someone who like, you know, would take a shirt off and and everybody would be like, oh my god, it's <laughs> yeah, and it's just so stoic, like yeah, you know, um, so it's so it's a hard sell for me on that on that front on the you know Dev Patel um, as Dev well sorry Dev Patel as Clark Kent, sure. <laughs> Yeah, sure, but maybe. Dev Patel, yeah. right? But Dev Patel as Clark Kent, who is also Superman, a little bit, a little bit tough, a little difficult a little to see. Yeah, a little, little more, a little more tough. Um, so, um, I'm gonna need some fan art, I'm gonna need some, <laughs> I'm gonna need some photoshops, <laughs> I'm gonna need a lot to help me, help me see that particular, particularly, uh, with Dev Patel, who again, I love as an actor. Um, mm-hmm. It feel it just kind of feels like a miscast. It feels like there are there are a lot of picks, a lot of there's more. There's eleven more rounds of picks, and I feel like there was probably a role where Dev Patel would be like a home run for. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't, you know, it, it feels like a a double waste. You know, it feels like there was probably a great actor who could have played um, Superman. Like one, I mean, and again. I don't run these delegations. This is just me with my own input. Did you ever see the movie RRR? Yeah. The guy who plays the the guy who plays the cop in RRR. You're trying to hit home runs, huh? You're trying to hit home runs for him. <laughs> I'm <trying> saying to... <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't he be Superman? In this case, I could see it. I could see it. And there's I, pictures of him with glasses too. Like he. <laughs> that would be such a home run! Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but uh, you know, they were like, "Nope, Dave, Dave Patel's our guy." So, <laughs> so we'll we'll, we'll see. He, he is that guy. I mean, I, to me, like I can understand why you would want to utilize him in your round one because he's such a big name and big face as far as being a South Asian actor, but there, there, you could have taken a Reed Richards in the third round and not saying that he's going to 
last to the third round, but mm-hmm. you could have taken a Reed Richards in the third round and said, Dave Patel is our Reed Richards and definitely yeah. got some traction on social media I mean, as well. People are fan, people are still fan casting him as, as yeah. Reed Richards, you know, like, so he, that's, yeah. And, and, you know, I know that you don't want to always have social media wag the dog as far as like who to, who to pick and who to mm-hmm. fan cast, but there are some points in the, <laughs> some points that come with that. It so, helps. Exactly. It helps. So uh, all that is to say that right now for the pick, he is currently sitting at 84 point. No, sorry. 80, 85. No, sorry, guys. It's, it's math is hard. Um, <laughs> yeah. 84.6% uh, approval with 65.4 strongly approved. 19.2 somewhat approve, 11.5 somewhat disapprove, and 3.8% racist. Um, with the Dev Patel pick, 52.9 strongly approve, uh, 0% somewhat approve, 29.4 somewhat disapprove, and 17.6 strongly disapprove of mm. uh, Dev Patel in the Clark Kent Superman role. And uh, you know, I mean, normally I I, I try to, to try to be be favorable, but this was a tough this was a tough sell for me. So so I, I kind of get it. I will admit it was a tough sell for me as well. Yeah, that brings us to the Swanamena delegation. Uh, you know, also known as Middle Eastern. You know, for for people who who struggle with that part of the world, <laughs> um, and uh, and they came in hot. Tony Stark. AKA Iron Man. Um, and look, I I think it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting pick. And I think it's interesting because, you know, in doing, you know, helping out in, in previous seasons and doing research with like the history of um the people from that part of the world, particularly in America, uh mm-hmm. participating in um various aspects of the military industrial complex and also as rich um privileged powerful people specifically on the west coast there is a strong history of persians slash iranians um you know working uh in in those those sort of powerful positions and to a certain extent also kind of i wouldn't say completely blending in and completely assimilating, but assimilating kind of enough that you could definitely imagine that like Howard Stark was maybe Stark was not his his original you know, like, last name. His original last name, and he just kind of cleaned it up, you know, like and the Stark family um became powerful, and then Tony, you know, grows up maybe a little bit more uh you know, challenged in that sense, you know, with, with uh, you know, like, I, th- I think that the, the you, I, having met a fair amount of, of, of young Persians whose parents grew up with money and used it and just kind of played around as, as having fun, uh, get into trouble you know, in, in that respect. Like, I, I think that there's, I think it's, e- I think it's an easy sell in terms of my own experience with um with 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 versions um and i think that when you add in the aspects of the the conflicts that we've had in that part of the world 
um it could be even more of a of a pathos that yeah. you know he's a weapons manufacturer who has helped to lead to uh, his own people um getting bombed and how that could even further inform his decision to you know to want to be iron man i mean i know that they've 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 adapted his his origin many times over time um in the comics but you know the the more iconic version that has happened because of where we were in the world at the time in, in the MCU has been of him being kind of kidnapped by um by middle eastern dissidents you know and you know the fact that they could add in that element of the starks being uh, part of this American westernized military industrial complex and kind of selling out, uh, selling out their people, like is a, just another level to where like Tony Stark can feel like he wants to be like, a, a you know, a weapon. He's still a weapon, but he's like, you know, trying to make amends um, and and be more of an instrument of peace. Like, I think there's, you know, I think there's something there. I think there's something to uh to sort of uh iranian iranian tony stark oh yeah and i hope they are taking notes while you're speaking <laughs> too because that is exactly what i would do in this scenario i mean there is so much there in terms of even just speaking on remorse that tony would feel um the opportunity to discuss you know the the mental health issues of the character um that were even a little bit hinted at towards in the mcu so you have the opportunity to to do everything that has been laid in the groundwork for you in the comics as well as in the MCU and just execute on it. You mm -hmm. know, there's plenty of opportunity there. It makes sense from a real world perspective as well as with the comics. So mm -hmm. you have full slate, full reign. And I was extremely jealous of this selection. <laughs> I really wanted Tony Stark this year. I mean, you got him in a you got him in another year. I did, I did, but I mean, honestly, that selection was made before I even joined the delegation oh, yeah, as well, yeah, too. Yeah. Didn't necessarily have the opportunity to select him, but he was my golden boy that year, um, well, that season. So I really wanted him this year, but this is a <laughs> phenomenal selection for them. Yeah, so uh, the people agree. Uh, right now, 90% approval rating, 80% strongly approve. 10% somewhat approve, 10% somewhat disapprove. Uh, so no racism. Um, and as far as the fan cast, uh, do you watch Succession? No, but I okay. do know of the show. Yeah, so the actor, you might, I mean, he was in Ms. Marvel um, as one of the um, agents in Ms. Marvel. The actor's name is Ariane Moyed. Um, yes. But he was, you know, criminally underused in that role kind of playing a random cop basically uh in ms marvel and spider-man no way home but in um in succession he plays like you know a rich um kind of hedge fund manager mm -hmm. um like he you know it's very slick very um kind of like bottom line like how am i going to make this money type dude like he's got the smarmy things got the you know he like he's not He's, nobody is Robert Downey Jr., obviously, you know, but he's kind of got like that kind of, you know, that kind of energy. That kind of um, swag. Yeah, he's exactly. He's got that kind of, yeah, he's got that kind of like rich boy swag. So like, I think, you know, 
you could play around with his beard a little bit, give him, <laughs> give, him give him the Iron Man beard, and like I think I think it could work for sure. Um, right now, it's eighty percent approval rating for the fan cast, seventy uh, percent strongly approved, ten percent somewhat approved, ten percent somewhat disapproved, and ten percent racist. <laughs> that brings us to the number five pick. Kind of shocked. But you know the way that the draft shook out, not maybe not that shocked. But number five, Peter Parker, the Spider Man, the Amazing Spider Man. Um, little, you know, this is not the first time that the East Southeast Asian delegation has uh, has gotten themselves a Peter Parker. But this is the first time that the East Southeast Asian delegation has gone for a Filipino Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Definitely know that there are Filipinos in Queens. Um, you know, some of them have a couple friends who <laughs> are <laughs> Filipino in Queens. So, so to that end, totally, I could totally buy it. Um, I, you know, it so much has been said about you know how Spider Man is the kind of everyman character, Peter Parker, is the everyman character that anyone can wear the mask, and there's so many elements of his um personality that do resonate with people of color you know Mm -hmm. that being that he feels a responsibility um to you know be a breadwinner in in a family he's lost his parents um he's trying to take care of an older aunt who um he doesn't feel like he can completely relate to but he you know he loves her he's a bit of an underachiever but he he knows that he has the ability to do more and he puts a lot of pressure on himself and he puts a lot of pressure on um you know trying to be a good friend you know i think that a lot of i think a lot of people anyone i think that everyone can relate to someone who tries to be all things to all people but i think that um for people of color in particular who don't get a lot of things that, that fall in their favor you know, really kind of gravitate to Peter Parker in that sense that like, he's a really good guy, but you know, every now and then things are just really, <laughs> things really don't go his way. Um, um, so big fan of this pick big, well, I'm Spider-Man's my favorite character. So I'm in the bag for Spider-Man. Um, hopefully we'll get, hopefully we'll get some, some backstory on it. Um, but, um, you know, I, I'm sympathetic to you. What about you? Yeah, um, I, I really I like the pick. I would love to see more of a backstory from them if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to see them tie into how his upbringing, how his upbringing was taking place. Okay. Um, definitely, I have a lot of Filipino friends as well. Um, two of my closer friends are Filipino, so I would love to see them kind of tie did in. You, with just curious, did you uh did you run it run it by run run this pick by them and see what their what takes on takes? I did on? run it by one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, she was ecstatic about it. She liked okay. the pick. Um, so I personally am a fan of the selection, but I would love to see more detail on it. I sure. I have this selection, um, in terms of my personal voting. So I would really just love to see them kind of tie in, you know, a little bit more of his upbringing how it affected his family, um, you know, his relation with his aunt, um, and especially the neighborhood that he's in. Mm-hmm. So just kind of, you know, I see how it would affect him being bullied as well, because um, I have seen, you know, people be bullied for simply being Asian or being Filipino. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
you know, just, you know, there's a lot of aspects that they can play with. You know, Spider-Man is such an iconic character and such an everyman character, like you stated, that you can just, you know, you can mold him. You know, he's kind of a ball of clay in terms of how you can relate him to your experience. So there's a lot of potential here. And yeah, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fan cast. Um, I'm not familiar with this actor, Alden Richards, but he definitely has a Peter Parker look to him. Um, you know, he's Filipino from from the Philippines, so not Filipino American, but I'm gonna assume that uh, he speaks he he knows how to speak English. <laughs> um but but yeah, like I said, he's got the Peter Parker look to him. Um he's I think he's late, I think he might be 31. So like a little bit on the older side, but he looks youthful. Um, he could definitely play like the late 20s version of Peter Parker um, that we kind of get in the comics where he's just like perpetually 28. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, from the approval perspective, uh, currently sitting at 90.5% approval with 76.2 strongly approve, 14.3 somewhat approve. 4.8 somewhat disapprove and 4.8 racist. Uh, as far as the fan cast, 94.4% uh, approval with 83.3 strongly approve, 11.1 somewhat approve, and 5.6% some uh, somewhat disapprove. So uh, yeah, I mean, big moves, big moves for the East Southeast Asian delegation. Uh, that brings us to the multiracial delegation who. Uh, Look, I'm going to be honest. I kind of helped out kind of kind of, um, you know, because they were deciding they were deciding between uh, Peter Parker um, and, uh, and and this character, Jonathan Kent. Uh, they really wanted Peter Parker, but that decision was made for them. Mm. <laughs> but um, I like Jonathan Kent because, look, uh, in, the, in our keeper draft, in our in our dynasty draft, uh, Lois Lane was drafted by the Jewish delegation. So locked in Lois Lane. Gonna have to accept that identity. <laughs> Gonna accept that identity. But the South Asian delegation drafted them Clark Kent. So it's only right for the multiracial delegation to take both those identities, put them together, and be like, hey, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, and in the comics, they've really been pushing hard, Jonathan Kent. Um, he's obviously he's in the, the tv show the superman and lois tv show um he's you know it's been a little controversial with the whole super sons thing um that people kind of really liked little baby john well not baby but like you know little kid jonathan kent but they've aged him up to you know about 18 or 19 uh he's he's no longer super boy he's more superman um and i don't see that stopping i think that jonathan kent's going to be one of the big time dc characters uh he's also part of the lgbt communities um he's uh i want to say bisexual um he's got a relationship a same-sex relationship i think that that's also going to keep him in the fray as one of the higher profile um lgbtq characters in dc so so yeah i mean uh like I said, there was already there's already a multiracial. If you think about it, there's already a multiracial element to Jonathan Kent in that his mother's from Earth and his father's from Krypton, right? Mm -hmm. So there's already a uh, where do I fit in 
in terms of my identity and my culture. It's just that the we don't normally think of Krypton as foreign um, racially in the way that we could. Yeah. Um, and then when you add in the, like, I mean, it was kind of funny in the last season because um, with the Jewish delegation, they wanted to make the tie of uh, Krypton that, you know, being kind of Jewish influence. And in fact, in the the, the Keeper uh, portion, Krypton is still influenced by Jewish culture based on the dynasty pick. So, so it's an, it's an interesting dichotomy that you have, uh, you know, uh, Jonathan Kent, who is a, an American human Jewish person, and then uh, it, the, to the extent that he studies Kryptonian culture can draw a parallel between Kryptonian culture and Jewish culture. I think that could be really kind of cool. And then, in fact, you know, with South Asian Superman, like the fact that he's maybe a little, you know, he's a little brown, you know, he's a brown boy and, you know, his father's going to be able to relate to him, you know, explain to him how things are a little bit different when you're a brown boy, you know, in, in America. So he's going to have all of those different axes of, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't say oppression per se, but axes of of a lack of privilege um, in in terms of how he's related to, not to mention the LGBTQ aspect. So, you know, I think there's a this is <laughs> it's funny because the multiracial delegation they get to juggle all of those <laughs> they juggle all of those <laughs> because they're the multiracial delegation. So it, it feels right for me. Uh, but what about you? Yeah, um, I thought it made a ton of sense. Um, I think it was a very intelligent pick right here at the sixth spot. You know, you have Jonathan Kent falling down the board. He's obviously a first-round selection based on his value. Um, I think it was a perfect pairing waiting on the Clark Kent selection and having the knowledge that Lois Lane is already a dynasty pick. So it's an easy pairing. Um, like you said, having the Krypton already being a part of the Jewish delegation as well as the dynasty pick. You just have so much to, you know, just to dive into. You can just lay it all out for us. Whether you can get those plus 25 points for the <laughs> backstory, it's pretty simple, you know, to me. Yeah. I think it's an easy pairing. And, you know, the racial draft, you know, for the multiracial delegation, just watch it play out and just <laughs> nitpick here. I want this guy. I want this guy. You got it pretty simple to me. I think it's, um, it's a pretty, it's a knockout of the park hit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'll be honest. I helped out on the fan cast here too, as well. Um, Aramis Knight, or, or maybe it's Aramis. Um, you might know him from Ms. Marvel where he played Red Dagger. Um, he is actually of mixed, uh, background, uh, South Asian and European. And, you know, he, under the right kind of light, could look white. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, I think that this is, I think that's a good, I think it's a good fan cast. Um, he's in the age range. I think he's 20. Um, mm. So like he's, I mean, I, I think, it could, I think it totally work as South, uh, sorry, mixed, uh, you know, multiracial South Asian and Jewish um, Jonathan Kent. So right now we are looking at 91.6% approval rating for the pick with 83.3 strongly approved, 
8.3 somewhat approve and 8.3 somewhat disapprove and uh, currently sitting at 87.5 um, approval with all 87.5 strongly approving and 12.5 uh, strongly disapproving. Um, so I'm not sure what's happening there, but <laughs> but uh, it's a very little bit polarized there. But uh, I mean, I, I thought I think it's a strong move for the multiracial delegation. And I always love when a pick um, from the multiracial delegation takes into account the other delegations around it that encompassed that, you know, the, the uh, ethnic breakdown. And that brings us to you, my man, the <laughs> Native American delegation. Uh, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna clear out, and I'm gonna give you the opportunity to uh, talk the talk. All right, so with the seventh overall selection in the first round of the season of the racial draft, I have selected Native American Wolverine, James Logan Howard. And this is going to be year two of us having him as a first round selection, but it was just a perfect pairing. It was the right value. Um, I think that, you know, James Howard is the epitome of what should be a Native American in the comics. Mm -hmm. I think as um, all the makings of one, um, I've never really heard any official accounts of anybody stating that it was the intentional direction for them. But when you look into the character and, you know, it's been studied and dissected on TikTok, YouTube, you name it. Everybody has questioned whether this character should be Native American or not, um, mm -hmm. even in regards to fan casting. So I think for me, it's the right selection. Um, it's the best selection right here at the seventh pick. And um, it's just a match made in heaven for me. I don't know if it's, if it'll happen a third time. I don't know <laughs> if anybody will allow it to happen a third time. Um, but this is my number one pick right here. So I'm really excited to have him on the team again. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that this is a – I think like you said before, there have been many people who've talked about this and really kind of gone into – the fact that um, there's so many markers, not markers, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, so many things that are sort of... Um, like indications? Yeah, like that, that's not... A, sorry, guys. Um, every now and then I struggle with the exact word I'm looking for. But um, things that are sort of like he's coded, that's what I was trying to get to. Like he's coded in such a way. I mean, obviously... There's more to the Canadian wilderness than First Nations people, um, First Nation peoples. But I think that there's a sort of harmoniousness with nature that comes into play with 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 Logan, with Wolverine. I also think that, you know, to the extent that he's been experimented on and dehumanized, I think that like, you know, that in general, that lends him more to be a person of color than just sort of like your standard white guy. Um, I, and, you know, I think that like you've mentioned, like you've mentioned before, the, the history of, uh, first nations people being, uh, experimented on in that fashion, um, does kind of add to, add to his story. Um, obviously he's got other stuff that went on, um, you know, in his, in his, in his backstory, I know that there's also a history of, um, of Native Americans in the States and First Nations people, you know, up North kind of serving 
um, you exactly. know, in, in the military as a way of trying to like earn their, um, you know, citizenship, so to speak. Um, so I think that that, that too can, can kind of build into why like Logan like fits in this, in this, um, situation. And then, you know, purely from a, uh, from an aesthetics perspective, you know, there are some little, little, little shorter, <laughs> little shorter Native American guys, you know, who could, you know, there, you, you know, you don't have to worry about dealing with, you know, six foot four Hugh Jackman style, style Wolverines, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that it, I think it all works. I think it builds into his underdog status. Um, now, one thing that I like, I, I haven't asked you about this before, but like, so mm -hmm. when when Wolverine was introduced in the comics, he was introduced alongside, um, you know, James Proudstar. Um, and I think I've, I've often wondered whether because I think they had a little bit of tension in those old school X-Men books. Mm -hmm. um, I've often wondered if like part of the tension was that you had a character who was like actually Native American and then you had a character who was kind of in many ways coded that way. But like Wolverine was clearly more popular, clearly, you know, a sort of high profile character. I kind of wonder if like the killing off of of um, James Proudstar was, was almost like yeah, there can really only be one. You know what I mean? Like where, where they're like, I know you're not technically Native American, but you're like, you know, taking up enough of the the of Native realm. of that realm that we that you've rendered this actual Native American character redundant. Like, what do you what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think uh and that's I, I wanna say that uh that John is on my on my dynasty team. If I'm incorrect, I can kind of double check that as well. But um, to to revert back to your question, um, I oh right, it's John, think, not James. I always get confused. Sorry, my fault. Oh no, 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 you're good. Um, there 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 are brothers as well. <clears throat> um, but I do think that there it is plausible to say that. Um, because you know, in 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 spaces like this there aren't really enough conversations about Native Americans. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you know, from my draft strategy, you can kind of tell that there aren't a ton of Native American characters, mm -hmm. um, especially based on how I drafted the dynasty. I kind of just tried to defend, defend, defend mm -hmm. um, what was available. But um, I, I do think that, you know, there was a climate at that time where, you know, we're gonna have our token coded Native American yeah. character. We don't necessarily have to give them representation, but they're there, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that there was a disservice made right there, where they didn't want to necessarily give representation, but they also wanted to appeal to that audience. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's very plausible that that was the case. You know in that instance to where they killed off. Um, I believe in that. I think it was James that was killed off in the comic books and he recently came back. Yeah. I mean, cause one thing that I was um, 
you know, in, in contrast, right? I think that like with with regard to black characters, there's a there's a history of kind of having black characters and and stories about the different ways that that different black characters relate to the dominant culture. Like I think that there's more, I mean, again, maybe I'm biased because I am black. Like I I know that there are a lot of stories about, you know, other like black two black characters being in the same room and coming from different you know walks of life and being able to navigate that um that intersection of you know we're both black but we're not the same you know exactly um but i don't know a lot of stories where where there's two native american characters that are navigating that you know what i mean like where they're saying that like we're two native characters in a space and here's what why i'm different from you you know mm-hmm. and and i wonder like i said before like the, the there were not a lot of native writers at the time like did they just not have the range to be able to re- present that kind of nuanced story where there might be two for like two native characters yeah. at the More same time you know that are not related oh yeah <laughs> like i couldn't even like even in even in um going through it like even in stories where i know that there are um multiple native characters like for instance the the more recent uh werewolf by night story where um this werewolf by night um i think his name is joe gomez and then also uh red wolf mm-hmm. um like they don't really have that much interaction about like the different ways that they approach the world you know um like that's I feel like that's like the next level of of representation and storytelling in representation of like not just having one character be the the avatar for a community, but having multiple characters in, you know, that represent different facets of the community and can mm-hmm. talk through like we're we're equally valid um as representatives, but we're not the same. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely can agree with that because, um, you know, we've seen it a little bit recently, you know, the, the increase of Native American characters and the, the spotlight of a few of them, um, such as Danny Moonstar in the comics. Mm-hmm. You know, Forge has had a very successful run in the comics. And then, you know, of course, the surge in popularity of Echo with her upcoming mm-hmm. television series as well. Um, we're getting a lot more opportunity of representation um, but like you stated, you know, having them kind of have that nuance of saying, you know, like we see a ton in black media, we come from different walks of life, but we can still, you know, agree to this point. Like we are representative of our of our community, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. There's a lot more to be seen for that representation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that we're on the right track. And I think Wolverine being um, the first face of this Native American delegation in this season is the right way to go as well. Yeah, no, I agree. So um, did I mention did I mention the approval ratings? I, I can't remember. Probably not. Um, so, so. <laughs> so, yeah, so currently sitting at ninety one point seven percent approval rating for the pick. 
uh, 87.5 strongly approve, 4.2% somewhat approve, 4.2 somewhat disapprove, and 4.2% racist. Um, talk a little bit about the fan cast that you had, uh, Jay Tavare. Um, yeah, Jay Tavare, um, very seasoned veteran actor. Um, he's been in a few projects. Uh, you may know him from Street Fighter. You may know him from Escape the Grizzly Mountain. Um, and funnily enough, he was in the Human Centipede 3. Uh, <laughs> so, I, you know, I had to put that out there. But he's he's a phenomenal actor. He's a very grizzled actor. Um, if you can tell by the look of him on the social media posts, mm -hmm. he has the look of an older Logan to me. Mm -hmm. um, just researching into him and as, as an actor, I think he has the the range in terms of what he's done in his career um, to perform and well as that reserve character, um, but also having that kind of root to him. Now I got to ask though, how tall is he? I want to say he's below, I believe he's below um, six foot. Okay. I can verify that right <laughs> here. Let me see. He is five, seven. Oh, okay. So I, All right. I, I couldn't remember exactly what his height was, but I knew he was six foot. But okay. five seven, I mean, he's on the money. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you like it's really hard to find a five three actor, you know, to play Wolverine. But you know, five seven, I'll take it as a short guy. Oh, yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> oh yeah, and it, and I just want to say right now, if you Google this guy, this guy in terms of a bodybuilder, mm -hmm. oh man, at five seven, he has the frame of oh, Wolverine. For sure. For sure. For yeah. sure. I agree. So, yeah, from an, uh, so the casting, uh, currently 90.5, just hit the, just hit it 90.5, uh, with 85.7 strongly approve, uh, 4.8 somewhat approve, and 4.8 somewhat disapprove, and 4.8% racist. Um, but look, you know, you're you're hitting the thresholds on both. Uh, if that continues, got a few more days. Listeners, go ahead and hit that strongly approved because uh, I like, listen, Native American Logan is, uh, again, one of the chef's kiss. Great picks. Speaking of chef's kiss, great picks. We got to move on to the black delegation where, uh, you know, I, I, I know for a fact that they were thinking about um you know taking some chances but then they were worried <laughs> they were a little worried so they said no nah, no we got it we got to go with our queen we got to go with our queen uh storm from the black delegation and i can't be mad at it really i can't be mad at the black delegation taking storm in the first round i know that there was at least one season where the black delegation did not get storm and it was much consternation across uh across the the, the culture um uh, never again never again um never again. now i don't know what's been happening with the voting people are i i don't approve of anything that's happening on the voting but right now um yeah rural monroe the as far as i'm concerned the black female comic book character um they're, they're, she's one of one. Um, mm -hmm. I know that there are other black female comic book characters, and I do not begrudge any of that. But but if you grew up as a fan of comics, um, you, you grew up as a fan of Storm. So, like, she's got to be there. Um, 
I, I, you know, surprisingly, she was putting up points. She was putting up points last season. Um, you know, the cop, they've been really pushing her in comics, despite the fact that she's not in any kind of live action right now. Um, you know, she's in, she was just recently introduced into the video game, into the, the Midnight Suns video game, uh, mm-hmm. as a as a, a showcase character. Um, she's all over uh, different comics. Um, she's the leader of of the, sort of the queen of of Araco, Mars. I mean, they've been really giving her a big push. I don't see that push stopping anytime soon. Uh, fan art off the chain everybody's drawing up storm uh what's his name um when it comes to cosplay everybody's cosplaying a storm i mean it's 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 everywhere so uh there there shouldn't be a shortage of opportunities for storm to put up points uh in this season um gotta mention the fan cast uh yatidi badaki who not only wants to play storm there's a picture of her with the storm action figure like she's you know again goes back to my point about like if you're in nerd culture and you're a black woman like storm is one of one so i can't can't really begrudge the pick maybe maybe the black delegation could have taken their chances with her in the second round but really you know first round second round it's fine like it's storm Um, From an approval perspective, this is what I was saying, 82.4 approval rating for Black Storm. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Listeners, they wanted to be Native American. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) So, yes, 82.4. All 82.4 strongly approving. Uh, 5.9 somewhat disapproved. And 11.8 percent i i can't even call it racist i don't know what the hell it is of people strongly disapproving of black storm um that is wild wild um for the fan cast uh the fan cast is 93.3 percent strong sorry 93.3 percent approval with 73.3 strongly approve 20 percent somewhat approve and uh, 6.7% somewhat disapprove, which, you know, I mean, not every fan cast is going to hit, you know, but yeah, Blackstorm listeners, get out there and get this up to 90%. That is ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> and that brings us to the Latinx delegation. Uh, hmm. I mean, you know, it's tough when you're down to the nine pick. I'll start. <laughs> I'll start there. Uh, Thor Odinson for the Latinx delegation. I'm awaiting the backstory here. Um, I don't think it's that far out of pocket, but I do think that it's uh, it does probably bear a little bit of uh, explanation. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. he's the god of thunder. Uh, thunder can be anywhere. It's not. Um, not unique to uh, the you know the Nordic regions, but he is part of the Nordic regions uh, pantheon. So uh, he's he's been traditionally associated with whiteness, and um, yeah, I mean that's that's what he's gonna that's what the Latinx delegation is gonna be pushing against. Uh, clearly, there are um, 
Latinos who are phenotypically white, um, even some that might have blonde hair. So, you know, in that respect, if you can craft a really good backstory uh, with the degree of difficulty, there's some some points in there for the offing. Um, it's not something that I think that people would initially, um, not something that I think people would initially just see offhand, you know, but yeah. but it's not necessarily something that would break the character either. Mm-hmm. What are, what are your thoughts on on um, Latino Thor? Um, I personally have been waiting for the backstory before I vote. Oh, okay. I don't want to have any preconceived notions on it because I do. I have you know white Latino friends, um, so it's 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 plausible to me, you know, yeah. especially. Um, blonde hair, blue eyes, like mm-hmm. it's it's extremely plausible. Um, so I just wanted to really just get a, a backstory on how it would make sense for being a just a racial change compared to an entire pantheon change. Mm-hmm. Um, See what I'm curious about, and and hopefully you know you know there's still time. I think they have like four days mm-hmm. um, for for the poll to run. Um, but they're like, um, I know that in other years, um, the Latinx delegation has reached into their bag with respect to kind of the the gods of of uh, like the Aztecs and the and the uh, and the Mayans, you know, mm-hmm. like like whether there's an analog there that could could play a role in. Um, in in making that tie, you know whether there is a a god of thunder uh, in um, indigenous um, Mexican culture, mm-hmm. you know as 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 a way to as a way to really kind of bring it home. Yeah, that would be um, that would be something I'd be willing to negotiate on <laughs> as the yeah. American delegation. I. I would love to see him really dive into that, though, um, in, re- in regards to Carlos. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for that as well. And I, I kind of, you know, that was part of the reason why I kind of waited to see what mm-hmm. the backstory would be in regards to the Pantheon and how he would, you know, kind of make it make sense. Right. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but I just wanted to see which direction he wanted to go, whether it was just an adjustment or if it was a complete, you know, script change, you know, right. For me, yeah, before I, I, before I get like my, I, I know this preceded you, but there was a season where the Polynesian delegation drafted Thor, mm-hmm. and the route that they went was one where he was still the Thor from um, from Norse mythology, but he, at some point, uh, intervened uh, in in the Polynesian islands Mm. and, and in doing so was kind of brought into the fold and inducted into their culture. And they kind of gave him the tattoos and they um, kind of made him in it like an adoptive member of their, of their culture. Um, Mm. So to that end, you know, he was repping uh, the Polynesian delegation um, with a traditional, I forgot the name that they gave him, um, you know, because that, that was when that was listen, 
you missed when Tomati was in his bag with backstories. Like you, like he had backstories for every draft pick. Like, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll link it up um, for for you and also for for the listeners um, on uh, racialdraft.com, which is a new website. So uh, you guys can can check out the the old backstories for Polynesian Thor, but um, but yeah, I mean it can be done bridging that gap in a backstory to to really have the character uh, sort of pop with a different ethnic background. So I mean I'm hoping that uh, Carlos is up for the challenge and 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 comes to that for Thor, but uh, we it remains to be seen. Where he did rise to the challenge though was in uh, fan art. Um, Go ahead and check it out on on our uh, on our various social platforms. Um, he he uh, drew drew up his uh, Latino Thor, uh, also somewhat based on the fan cast, which I hadn't mentioned yet. Which is a uh, JD Pardo, who I have not seen Mayans uh, the show. Have you seen that show? I believe I've only seen a few episodes, not entirely okay. uh, a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I knew him way back when he was like a teenage actor and he was on like some of the like teen shows. Um, but, you know, he's 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 rocked up. He looks good with his shirt off. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, uh, I understand. So, uh, yeah, uh, from an approval perspective, currently we're looking at eighty one point three percent approval rating. For Latino Thor, 56.3 strongly approve, 25 somewhat approve, 12.5 somewhat disapprove, and 6.3 racist. And for mm. the fan cast, he is we're currently looking at also oh 82.3 for uh the fan cast, 58.8 strongly approve, 23.5 somewhat approve, 5.9 somewhat disapprove and 11.8 racist mm. and that brings us to the final pick final pick of the round uh one of my favorites because it's so perfect jewish delegation the defending champions coming through with their i think it was probably a character that they had been targeting and it just fell to them steve rogers Captain America, now, of course, as you know, character was created by uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby, both of who are Jewish, uh, during a time. Wait, no. I'm not sure about who created. Yeah. But anyway, um, um, cre yeah, created definitely during uh, World War II. I think they were brought to Marvel. Uh later at the time but they were created at a time when um you know jewish people were under assault and you know these were jewish creators who were who created a superhero that was the sort of paragon of yeah oh sorry jack kirby and joe simon not stanley there we go uh yeah um so it was Jack Kirby. But yeah, I mean, Jack Kirby's Jewish and he fought in the war and uh, he created a superhero uh, to fight Nazis and also uphold America. 
And I think it's telling that this is a character who um, the super soldier serum was uh, in some incarnations supposed to be the, the secret weapon from Hydra slash the Nazis, you know, the Ubermensch is a concept that is sort of like endured uh, from that time frame. The 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 uh, Aryan Superman, um, but instead of the Aryan Superman being uh, on the side of fascism and being on the side of eradicating uh, the quote unquote lesser races, uh, this is an Ubermensch that is on the side of good, on the side of the powerless, and how t how fitting would it be? If, uh, you know, if a Steve Rogers, an undersized Jewish boy uh, from New York uh, who didn't like bullies, you know, signed up to take on the Nazis. I mean, it feels like all the elements are there. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, and yeah, I might as well read the backstory because I actually got the backstory. Uh, here we go. Steve Rogers was born on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, a well-known Jewish enclave in 1920 to poor Jewish immigrants. As a child, Steve often found himself in fights with neighborhood kids, a product of the rising anti-Semitism in America. But Steve was raised with a belief in moral values and the good always triumphs over evil. When Steve attempted to get drafted into the US Army in order to go fight the Nazis in Europe, as he felt was his duty as a Jewish American, he was rejected time and again for being underweight and asthmatic. But Dr. Abraham Erskine tapped Rogers for a special project in which he injected the frail patriot with super soldier serum that gave him health, strength, and agility. Dr. Erskine saw this frail Steve Rogers as a raw material needed in order to create a hero that would drive the persecutors of Jews away in fear. So from the clay of Steve Rogers, Captain America, the pinnacle of human ability, and a super soldier able to fight the Nazis practically single-handed was born. But Captain America isn't just a patriotic symbol. Captain America was created by a brilliant Jewish scientist to punch Nazis and protect America, where his parents fled to escape anti-Semitism, just as millions of Jews had done in the early 1900s. I mean, it's all there. It's in the text, honestly. Um, and it's just, it was probably just the anti-Semitism of the day that um, kept those creators from making him explicitly Jewish. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I, and I think that, that kind of goes to the spirit of the racial draft, where there is a character that's like, it's already there, like, you know, coded into the character, but it just wasn't made explicit. So you make it explicit, you give a community and, a, you know, a, a group uh, their hero, and, you know, it, it, it doesn't feel subtractive at all. What about, yeah. what do you think? Oh, yeah, I think this is, you know, again, another home run hit in this draft for the first round. Um, I think he, you know, Jared will always get flowers from me in terms of giving out these backstories. Um, I love what he does in terms of creating these backstories. Um, this one was phenomenal. I think it it streamlined everything that has taken place for Captain America. Um, it made it brief while also concise. Um, so he was able to really just flesh out his story and really attribute, you know, being Jewish into the equation without subtracting anything from the story of Captain America. So phenomenal job for me. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, the people currently, uh, 
90% approval rating for the pick uh, with 70% uh, strongly approve, 20% somewhat approve, 0% uh, somewhat disapprove, and 10% anti-Semitism. Wow. <laughs> like, I mean, Kanye, I mean, I don't know what what you're doing um, following <laughs> us and and voting in our polls, but you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta make amends, my guy. You gotta make amends. Um, for the fan cast, I wasn't a, I wasn't completely sold on the fan cast, but you know, I could live with it. Uh, this is a David Cornsweet, who is a an actor who um, has been noted for being fan cast as Superman, but uh, you know, I could see him as Cap too, I suppose. Um, he's, yeah, he's got the you know kind of kind of that 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 look you know, again this, he doesn't have blonde hair but you know dye uh, hair dye exists <laughs> hair dye but so yeah right now 81.3 percent approval rating with 50 percent strongly approve 31.3 somewhat approve uh 6.3 somewhat disapprove and 12.5 percent kanye uh, <laughs> but yeah that's it that was our round that was uh our our, our 10 picks um, I'm very curious to see uh, how things shake out in the second round. Um, you know, we this is where things start to, you know, uh, a lot of these picks were were a little bit in chalky, right? There, you know, I, I'm I, I have the list of of how characters did in in the last season, uh, how they scored. So I would say that for the most part, you know, the everyone that was drafted was in sort of like the top 10 to 12 range. Yeah. Um, so nobody went radically off base. Second round, though, is where people might start to to take big swings. <laughs> you know, <laughs> second round is where people might be like, all right, I think I can, I think I can make something happen with this character. And, you know, some of these other characters that are, that, um, you know, might have, might be on paper, a good pick might not be a good fit for my delegation. So, mm -hmm. Very curious to see how that plays out. Um, listeners, I hope you're very keen to see how that plays out as well. Um, Toriana, let the people know where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on all social media platforms at 90210Toriano, and that's T-O-R-I-O-N-O. -O. Um, I talk sports, mm -hmm. I talk comics, I talk anything that you want to talk to me about, you know. Um, really starting to develop in terms of creating content for football, basketball, um, but really just continue to dive into this beautiful world of the racial draft. So cool. cool. Get to continue building upon it. I, I mean, you're not going to tell people about your podcast. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> I am starting a YouTube channel called they know ball. We will be discussing um, everything from the NBA, the NFL, uh, NCAA sports, um, so men, women, basketball, um, men's football, you know, everything that you want for sports, we know ball. So that's nice. the direction that we're going in. So I'm excited to have Andre Dawson join me, uh, former University of Iowa running back. And he's a big time comic book fan. So hopefully I oh. can get him involved with the racial draft as well. Yeah, for sure. I would love that. Yeah. Um, you can find me. At MTFIII on Twitter, mostly. Um, you can find the Racial Draft, though, on all your podcast platforms. RacialDraft.com is the website. Racial Draft um, 
on Facebook, racial.draft on Instagram, Racial Draft Pod on Twitter, as long as Twitter's still a thing. You can also uh, subscribe to us on YouTube or Vimeo, uh, where you can see our sort of video content. Um, you can try to um, support us on Patreon. We will always love your support. We're going to start uh, pushing out exclusive content to our different platforms, uh, Patreon in particular. We will also uh, be trying to do exclusive content for uh, Instagram and YouTube. So look to that if you follow. So essentially, you have to follow us everywhere is what I'm what, what I'm telling you, because one no one place will, will give you all of the, the one stop shop. Um, you know, we'll 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 do what we can here on the mothership to uh, keep you abreast of all the popping. But, uh, you know, give us your support, give us your backing. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we will give you the opportunity to have your voices uh, amplified on the podcast. You can also email us. I should have mentioned that racial draft podcast at Gmail. So, uh, you know, you email us, give you the opportunity to give you uh, to give the feedback. Also respond. In addition to voting in the polls, you could also respond to the polls. We'll read them on the podcast we'll give you the opportunity to be heard there um you know because we it is it is an interactive experience uh, you know toriano's great i'm great the the po the people that that are illustrious guests that we try to have uh, bring voices but the more voices the merrier because we're trying to encompass the full range of uh, human experience particularly through the lens of of this nerd culture comic book game that we play called the racial draft um we hope that this was fun for you. If this is your first episode, I apologize, but keep on, keep on pushing, keep on coming back. Uh, same race time, same race channel. We'll be here next week until next time. All things are possible. <laughs>